It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from Hollywood, Florida, the site of the Patriot Awards, where less than, I guess, 12 hours ago, they just completed the third annual. And it was just time to revel in some great Americans, great American stories, and be with other patriotic people, including my first guest is going to be Congressman Michael Waltz, spent years uh, in the military, Green Beret, still in the National Guard, and is uh, now serving uh, his community over in Florida in Congress, maybe in the majority shortly. And the bottom of the hour, John Rich, uh, country music legend, uh, who also has a great show on FBN called The Pursuit. So before we pursue Congressman Michael Waltz on China and more, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If when you say critical race theory, if you say that on MSNBC, People think that's a great thing because they're finally teaching an honest history of racism in in this country. That's different than teaching that racism is the essence of America. That's what people get upset about. Yes, and that might be the first time that's been said on CNN, which it was last night. Why don't they listen from CRT to cancel culture? The Democrats are now not only turning off Republicans and independents, but even iconic liberal Bill Maher says, count me out. What will it take to wake them up? Number two. We didn't have the quality of evidence that the state had until the case had been closed. I do not believe an unknown technical incident should result in a mistrial. Uh, that is a little of the drama that's taking place with the Rittenhouse trial. Day three of jury deliberations in the Kyle trial. Whether the prosecution follies are intentional or not, it might just push this case to a mistrial. I'll explain. Number one. Congress will not add to inflationary pressures in the economy. Number one. The bills do not add inflation pressures. Let me repeat that. Do not add inflation pressures. No one believes that. You could say it as many times as you want. Panic among Democrats as they are now facing a midterm massacre as inflation whittles away at their base and Americans fa- America's family budget. Biden plays the blame game and stunningly offers nothing but a spending solution. With me right now is Congressman Michael Waltz. Congressman, I had heard as early as today, obviously it's not going to happen, you're here, that there might <laughs> be a vote, uh, there would might be a vote in the House to just pass this uh, this Build Back Better plan, the Reconciliation Plan, uh, Democratic Party only plan through the House. Right. He's still pushing for this, even though inflation's through the roof. Yeah, so he, he clearly hasn't gotten the memo yet, uh, or ha- he hasn't been presented it by his staff yet uh, to, to reverse course on this. You would have thought the Virginia elections would have sent a message. Uh, you would think uh, with repeated now quarters of the consumer price index through the roof, uh, with inflation outpacing wage growth, Uh, So people's money is falling further and further behind. But what you're going to see from Pelosi this week uh, is she has sent the word out to her conference. Whatever it takes to get your vote, we'll add it in the bill, whether that's for the Northeastern liberals, the SALT tax provisions, whether that's amnesty for illegal immigrants to the progressives. 
whatever it takes to get their vote and get it off her plate and get it out of the House so she and all of her constituents can go back home and say, we tried, and flick it over to the Senate uh, where they know it's likely to fall apart between the rules of the parliamentarian, which means it has to be budgetary, not policy, like this amnesty, or uh, the moderates, Manchin, and Cinema that have already said certain provisions of it are dead on arrival. Well, think about this. Uh, Manchin said, I don't want to raise the tax rate. I don't want to raise the corporate rate. Cinema, so did Cinema. Cinema. Yeah. Cinema. So the billionaire's tax makes no sense. Nancy Pelosi punted on that, maybe because she's uh, close to a billionaire, but she said it's not ready. I'm and not it also doesn't do make sense. doesn't yeah. make sense. So they want to do this uh, taxing on unrealized income for people who haven't sold their stock yet but might have a net worth right. but didn't earn any right. money that year, which seems un-American. I mean, I don't even know what that means. How do you tax people on what they're worth as opposed to what they made? Yeah, well, it, it, you can't. I mean, that is a fundamental, it's changing the whole arguably structure. unconstitutional rewriting of the tax structure that they want to do, I don't know, on Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> right. Right? So it's, it's, it's not going to work. But, but, uh, but at the end of the right. day, they're going to just whatever it takes, whether it makes sense or not, uh, the bottom line is politically she can shift focus off of her and off the progressives and over on the Senate. Uh, I think that's the game that you're going to see afoot. So Larry Summers came out and said, I don't have a problem with the reconciliation bill because it's over the course of 10 years. Yeah. And that's why it's not going to add as much as the $1.9 trillion that we did not need that the president passed the minute he took office. After getting, what, $800 billion from Trump in December? Right, right. So they get one point nine. He said that did more damage than anything else. So the New York Times op-ed section has Steve Ratner, a former Obama aide, Carzar. Uh, always on MSNBC, he says, enough already about the transitory inflation. Last Wednesday's terrible consumer price index news shifts our inflation prospects strongly to the embedded category. How can an administration loaded with savvy political and economic hands have gotten the critical issue so wrong? They can't say they weren't warned. Larry Summers did warn him about that, and now you have Democrats saying, don't do this. Manchin saying, take a pause. Yeah. But it's almost as if He's talking to a different party. But, what's in, but what we're seeing is a real pattern emerging now with Joe Biden personally. right? He came in, whether it was Afghanistan or whether it's this issue, he is incredibly stubborn. He believes he's the smartest guy in the room. Still? That's been in Washington for 50 years. He came in with preconceived notions what he wanted to do on Afghanistan, and despite all the advice that he got, he did it anyway, and I think he's come in with preconceived notions on this, and despite all the advice that he's getting and all the warnings that he's getting, I think he's determined to do it anyway. The problem is he's trying to govern like he has a mandate like FDR and LBJ have where they had super majorities. He just doesn't have the votes. Yeah, I mean, it might go down that Georgia hurt him more than – uh, more than it hurt the Republicans because he would have been forced to compromise and he would have been able to hold on to whether he wanted to or not yep. that idea of being a conciliatory guy, but he's not. Yeah. He's coming out a guy that is more comfortable talking to the way left, and that's what Ron Klain does. Evidently, Ron Klain has been assigned or chose it to talk to the squad and company, those 93 right. moderates. Yep. And Joe tends to just go where Ron Klain goes instead of saying, hey, i got to pull them my direction. His direction seems to be left. I want you to hear what Kevin Hassett said because I want everyone to understand we're going to get the CBO score, and it's going to be bad for the Democrats and the, and the feasibility, plausibility, and benefit of this reconciliation bill. So they're starting to prime the pump saying the CBO doesn't understand what we're going to do by recovering uh, our IRS recovering tax dollars that the rich aren't paying. 
Here's Kevin Hassett on the CBO score. He's the former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors for Trump, twice, 16. Yeah, I think they probably have to vote before the scorecard comes out because the scorecard is going to condemn their bill. You know, that they've got so many funny uh, numbers and, 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 you know, they're letting stuff expire and, and so on that, you know, I think if you really analyze what they're doing, then you're going to find that it's way, way more costly than they say. You know, the Penn Wharton budget model, hardly a friend of Republicans, you know, they said basically the most likely scenario is that this thing's going to cost $4 trillion. Yeah. Well, look, you, on the one hand, you have the moderates promising to vote for the Build Back Stupid, which is what I'm calling it, uh, plan only after they get the CBO score. And then you look at the fine print of their statement. If that CBO score matches what the White House is saying it's cost, it's not going to. Uh, and, and again, I think that uh, Pelosi is going to try to buy off enough moderates mm. with the SALT provision uh, to get it to get it over the finish line. But we'll see. Congressman Michael Waltz is here, Republican uh, who participated in or you were part of uh, the Patriots Awards. You were in the audience last night. Uh, and, you know, Scott Mann, who's doing such great work getting uh, some SIVs out of Afghanistan, yes, an American citizen and green card holders. But I want to come back and talk about that. But I've, just to finish this off. New York Times editorial, Tom Etzel today. The rise of inflation, supply chain shortages, and the surge of illegal immigrants, uh, and the persistence of COVID and mayhem in Afghanistan, the uproar of critical race theory, all these developments individually and collectively have taken the toll on President Biden and the Democratic candidates. The numbers are even worse for Democrats in eight states expecting to have the closest Senate races. Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Not only is Biden's overall job approval rating in those thirty in those states 33%, 10 points lower than it is the rest of the country, but registered voters in those eight states say they are more likely to vote for Republican uh, candidates for than Democrats by 23 points. Uh, that's is almost, that stunning? That's almost hard to believe. Uh, that is such a massive margin. Uh, and, and just to put it into context, I mean, the Democrats know it. That's why you've seen now already 15 retirements from the House. And just to put that, what that number means in the context in 2010 – when we had the massive wave that was 63 Republican seats uh, in the House, they had 17 retirements. So we're only two away from that number uh, right now. And I think after the holidays, you're going to see us exceed that number. And what's amazing about all this, Brian, yes. is that th it's not like there was a major natural disaster, a Hurricane Katrina, some kind of unexpected war, you know, some type of act of God that the administration struggled to deal with. I don't like COVID. This is all self-inflicted. I mean, they just can't shoot themselves in the foot you know, more often and quicker. But at the end of the day, their ideas have never worked. Socialism has, has never worked in history. It doesn't work. It's not going to work. Uh, and the American people are waking up to it. Q poll leans left, right? What's that? Quinnipiac poll leans left, it don't does. you think? Yeah. In this poll, Americans say by a percentage points of 46 to 38, they would want to see the Republican Party win control of the House – uh, while 16% uh, did not offer an opinion, Americans by a 46-40 margin said they would want to see the Republicans win control of the Senate. That is this is a massive change one year after winning election and nine months after taking power. When we come back, what's on the foreign policy front? What about this virtual summit? Um, what about this virtual summit with China? What was accomplished and what wasn't said? Because I can't even understand the readout or Joe Biden's explanation, let alone what damage was actually done. 
You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show on the road at the Patriots Awards, wrapping things up from Hollywood, Florida. Michael Waltz, more in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think you're looking at legitimate allies. I think you're pushing, and, and that includes AMSITS, you're probably pushing up close to 100,000. Scott uh, was a great soldier, and uh, he and I served together uh, over in Afghanistan, uh, and he did a, a really remarkable job. So I've got a lot of, a lot of time for Scott. I, I don't know about his numbers. Those are kind of not the numbers I'm hearing. Having said that, uh, Brian, I mean, you know, nobody... Uh, thinks that the evacuation in Afghanistan was uh, was anything like what we wanted. Uh, my my personal opinion is we started way too late. And he wants to say focus on the evacuation at Kabul Airport, despite the the, the death of 13 individuals. And I think that we had uh, hundreds of Afghans were dead, and we had uh, a couple of dozen Americans that were injured. That was Admiral Scott McRaven talking about Scott Mann and uh, Task Force Pineapple that is privately getting people out of Afghanistan, as is Congressman Michael Waltz. Your thoughts about Admiral McRaven and Scott Mann? Well, I think what, what McRaven kind of glosses over there is that Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, Task Force Pineapple, Allied Airlift, all of them and these veterans should have never had to exist in the first place. The fact that all of these uh, veterans sprung up in a grassroots fashion, many of them quit their jobs, exhausted their personal savings, and had to go do what the Defense Department and State Department should have done, what the Biden administration screwed up, frankly, uh, is, is really a, a travesty. But thank God for them, somebody stepped into the breach and showed leadership. And I, look, I've known uh, Colonel Scott Mann for for 20 years, he saved my life over in Afghanistan by calling in some airstrikes when I was completely surrounded. He's a fantastic human being. I'm thrilled to see Fox Patriot Awards recognize him and so many other veterans that, that stood up. But I got to tell you, General Milley, Admiral McRaven, and so many of the other general officers keep focusing very narrowly and saying, well, we evacuated over 100,000 Afghans. Well, they evacuated the wrong Afghans. They left Americans behind. They left our allies behind. And strategically, it was an absolute debacle. No question. Is the State Department making it harder to get people out? The State Department has been far more of a hindrance than they have been to a help. Uh, and at the end of the day, my firm belief is that their leadership, Blinken and his senior people, just want this to go away. Uh, they want to turn the page. The president certainly wants to turn the page. I heard page. you're not supposed to bring up Afghanistan in the White House. Have you heard that? No, I haven't heard that, but it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but let me tell you what. I'm going to keep bringing it up. I'm never going to let it go. Those gold star mothers of those 13 killed in Kabul where they shouldn't Did have been. Did you see some of them last night? I saw some of them last night, and, and Brian, as you saw too, they have a level of deep, deep grief that you would expect, and I've seen Gold Star families now for two decades, but their level of anger and rage, 
and the questions they have, their demands for accountability are something as long as I'm in Congress, I'm not going to let go of. We will get to the bottom and of it. And we also know later that the second airstrike was a debacle. We killed an innocent, innocent guy that was just yeah. picking up something from yeah. his house. Yeah. I mean, has there been any accountability for but that? I, yeah, and, and that's what I think bothers so many of these veterans so much is they've seen their fellow veterans get relieved, get court-martialed. You know, the military is built on Lieutenant discipline. Colonel Scheller? That's right. The military, amongst others, the military is built on discipline, and we have seen none at the most senior levels. We've seen collectively a kind of a, oh, well, shoulder shrug, didn't go as well as we would have liked, let's move on type of attitude. Again, uh, we're negotiating right now with the Democrats what type of oversight task force we're going to have. Uh, I hope to have a leadership role in that, and I will not let this go. For what? For, for looking into what went wrong in this withdrawal and what went wrong uh, in the last years. Do you think you'll get something done in the minority, or do you, do you wait to be in the majority? I think we're going to see what we can get done in the minority and then absolutely right. in the majority. So China, they had the virtual summit over the last two days, yeah. no doubt about it. It helps to talk. Uh, before I let Robert O'Brien weigh in, as you know, he had a key position with Trump in the last two years. What do you think was accomplished? You know, it looked like it looked like kind of the, the old home, you know, my old friend coming together. The comment from President Z uh, at, at the end of the day, what the Biden administration wants to talk about is climate, climate, climate. So my question is, what are they trading away for these kind of bogus uh, climate promises uh, from the Chinese, who, by the way, are opening a new coal fire factory every week? They're right. opening over 50 they a year. They double our carbon right? footprint. And they not- doubled what we're doing, uh, and yet uh, uh, Biden wants to trade away jobs. He wants to trade away our national security. He's trading away any moral high ground on human rights. Right. Uh, and at the end of the day, this Green New Deal, these infrastructure provisions, are going to just send more money into China. They produce 80% of the world's solar panels. They control 90% of the basic rare earth minerals, whether it's building – uh, microchips, windmills, solar panels, you name it. Uh, China's the big winner in the Green New Deal. After the Olympics, they take Taiwan, chance? I think, well, right after the Olympics is Xi's basic, what they call his re-election as the chairman of the Communist Party in the summer. So I think it'll be relatively quiet until then. But between next summer and November of 2024, when they think, you know, there's a question on whether Biden stays in office. That's a really dangerous period. We got to arm Taiwan to defend itself. First we got to turn them into a porcupine. True or false? You hear that Russia is taking Ukraine in January. Uh, I think it'll be between January and March, and it'll be partial, not a full invasion. But there's a strip of land between where the Donbas, where the Russians are, and Crimea that they want. They do, and guess what? NATO can stop it if we make the right move. Michael Waltz, great to see you. Hey, good to I'll see, see you, I'll see you in Brian. Florida soon. All right, man. All right? And yeah, good luck sure. in Washington. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
<laughs> and there we go. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Brian Kilmeade Show in Hollywood, Florida. Just a day after the Patriot Awards where he had a great night where just a bunch of people around that just love the country and recognizing people who had extraordinary things over the last two years uh, since China poisoned us and kind of screwed up our country. Uh, with us right now is uh, John Rich. And John Rich, one of um, country music's biggest stars, was a big star last night for us. But surprising me today by wearing a Santa Claus. Yes. Outfit. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on your show. And right. Merry Christmas. I it, think it's time to start saying that. You really want to say that? Absolutely. It's not even Thanksgiving. I don't care. Yeah. America needs to get in a good mood at right. some point. You always in a good Let's mood. Let's bring Christmas a little early this year. Well, I did not know that was going to be your campaign, but we are <laughs> streaming on Fox Nation again. So if you got the app last night, put it on. And you could hear us. We're heard, heard around the country, around the world. So, uh, John, why are you dressed like Santa? This is just one of the so, things. I've got to be on Brian's radio show. Okay, exactly. I just want to put you in a good mood. You work so hard, Brian, and you never get any sleep. And I just thought, you <laughs> know what? Look at the smile. See, it worked. Yeah. No, actually, uh, me and Mike Rowe were hanging out. I was interviewing him for my show, The Pursuit. And I said, you know, Mike, uh, somebody that's got a dirty job, I bet you never thought about it. He goes, who's that? I said, Santa Claus. And he started laughing. He goes, you know what? You're right. He does have it. I said, think about the chimneys, what the reindeer, yes. behind those reindeer so, all night long. You know point. what's hitting him in the face all right. night long. Yeah. He goes, that's crazy. And then I, I knew that Mike had been a uh, opera singer for about eight years in his life. People I did not know, know that. that. He's got this huge voice, this singing voice. I said, we should do a, a Christmas song called Santa Claus Got a Dirty Job. He goes, that'd be great. I said, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And I took a break. And while I was in the bathroom, I start thinking, Santa Claus got a dirty job. Santa Claus got a dirty job. Santa Claus got a dirty job. And he does it all night long. And I walked out. I said, Mike, I think I just wrote the chorus to the song. And he goes, in the bathroom? I go, it's a dirty job. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, we're, we're here re doing some recording on that. It comes out uh, November 29th. You're actually re going to record We this? already did. We recorded it in Nashville. Had the Oak Ridge Boys singing backgrounds on it. It really? sounds like Elvira. How, how is Mike Rowe? He's incredible, man. But how, did, how do you go from opera to country? Because he's just talented, man. He, you'll hear it. When he's singing Christmas music, it almost sounds like an old Bing Crosby record. It's very uh, classic wow. sound, that big voice. So uh, we're splitting all the downloads that come in between Microworks Foundation and the Folds of Honor. Wow. So, yeah. So that's why I got a Santa Claus suit on. Thank you. Um, Lauren Other than it's just fun to wear a Santa Claus suit sometimes. Well, so, so this is helping Brian's remember to promote the downloads because it goes to two great causes. Yes, it does. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's the new Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. I really do. Wow. Uh, by the way, if people are going to be, number one, I didn't even know you knew him. Yeah. So I did not know. So you got to know him the first time when you interviewed him? No, he came through Nashville, and I saw that he was doing a, a, one of his shows in Nashville, and I, I figured out how to find him. I said, yo, come by the house. Remember when you came by the sure. house the one time? Yeah, and you told me not to come back, which is sad. And thank you for abiding by that. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> no, he came by the house. We hung out late. I got the guitar out. I found out he was, was a singer, and I couldn't believe it. And then we struck up a friendship. And the next thing you know, he's on the pursuit. And we're here in Hollywood, Florida. And it's good friendship. And now you're both part of the team. I yeah. Mean, I know you guys want to be your independent way. And you want to do this music thing till you get that out of your system. But uh, Mike Rowe, too. He's doing, owning his own shows. Yeah. But little by little, he's coming into the Fox family. I see that. I'm glad to see that. Man, this guy, is the, he's a real deal. Blue collar all day. We love his show. I mean, it's so interesting. He talks about... You know, there's $100,000 a year of welding jobs, you know, out there if you want to go get them. So he and I have a lot in common, and uh, it, we're both on Fox Business, so it's fun. Well, the other thing is we're in this big – something that is surprising even to him. He's always talking about getting jobs and getting the skills to match those open jobs from uh, welding to uh, to working with your hands with a contractor. But since I've talked to you and since I've interviewed Mike, now we're in the big, big beginning of this thing of quitting. 
mm-hmm. four million people quit jobs, quit jobs that they had without other jobs. Right. I mean, where does that? Co- I never thought we'd hear anything like that. I don't know how, how how many of those people were run out of their jobs because they wouldn't take, they wouldn't do the mandate. I don't know. I haven't seen that. Stat. That's a good point too. Could be. Part uh, and of I would it. say that some people said too is those those people. Some people got laid off, didn't get anything, mm-hmm. and then the, the, the their, their boss calls them up and says, "I'm ready to take you back." And there's a little bit of anger. Yeah. Where Fox was lucky enough, we were lucky enough at Fox. They basically kept everyone on staff, same salary, even if they couldn't work. Well, they took care of I mean, but you know, congratulations to Joe Biden because he has followed through on one campaign promise, Brian. Yes. Uniting America. He just never thought we'd be united against him. It's unbelievable. Do you see He has united us against him. He really has. It's unbelievable, yeah. Now over 50% of the country does not think he's competent to do the job. He was, when he got the job, he was up 26 points in that. Now it's 50-45. They don't think he's competent to do, not he's bad at it, don't think he's capable of doing it. Do you think somewhere in his closet there's a Let's Go Brandon t-shirt? That's got to be. I mean, come on, he has made that phrase what it is. I want to bring you to somebody else that you know. And he's Jason Aldean. Yeah. Uh, cancel culture. I don't know if you felt it since you hopped on Fox and you make your views known. You told me you spar with a lot of people. Yeah. The country music's next generation tends to be uh, very liberal. Jason Aldean, as make no, you know him better than I do. In fact, uh, I only talked to him once. But he came out and he says, listen, I'm not going to hide from it. Me and my wife are mm-hmm. conservatives. Here's what he said yesterday about what it means to his career now. Cut 41. You know, I think people know where I stand politically. And, and you know, I'm not a guy that's going to go out there and just, you know, start trying to stir the pot just to stir the pot. I mean, I feel like if there's something that I want to say, something that I feel like I, I want to address, then I'll do that. And I have no problem doing that. And there's times where I feel like, you know, I'm – I don't have a choice but to speak up or, or say something because I feel nobody else in the industry or not a lot of people in our industry uh, do that for fear. And, and I just, you know, I feel like somebody's got to be that guy. And if it's me, then then it's fun. Does that sound like anybody you know? Uh, absolutely. So there's this crazy irony going on in country music in that the audience is largely conservative and the country industry is largely extremely liberal. I'm talking Hollywood level liberal. Wow. They detest. They, they, they would be the first ones to say you're a deplorable and stuff like that. But they're the ones that are controlling all these big country singers and their careers and feeding the music to the tens of millions of country music fans. And the fans don't realize that the industry, a lot of them actually detest everything about the audience. So you got artists like Al Dean, like myself, and, and a bunch of others, by the way, who I will not name. They can, they can say it when they want to. Big, giant artists that are afraid to say that they're a conservative, that they support the police, that whatever, anything, because their handlers won't invite them back to an awards show. Country radio might not play their single. Like, you know, it's a real thing. But Al Dean just finally said, screw it. I don't care. I'm going to say what I think. Your freedom of speech has to be more important to you than the than the pat on the back from the industry. I understood. You know, uh, I guess at, at a certain point, if you have enough financial security and people like your product, I think you can show that courage. Uh, I've been doing this for a while, playing Bill Maher, cuts from Bill Maher's monologue. Mm-hmm. You know, he's an iconic liberal, very critical of Bush and Trump, obviously, but he's really concerned about his own party and cancel culture. Yeah. And his, his monologue could actually be in Tucker Carlson's prompter. Uh, he is not happy about it. So listen to him last night on CNN talking about Dave Chappelle and others. Uh, cancel culture, cut 40. I'm Team Dave and free speech. He's not afraid of homosexuals. Right. Or tra- it's not transphobic. It's that... This trans stuff is very new. I don't think he or 
myself or any other, again, right-thinking person, thinks there aren't such things in the world as people who are trans, who are born in a body that doesn't align with what their brain is telling them. And I don't think Dave Chappelle is transphobic. Can we take a breath? Maybe we are going too far with the children part of this. You know, kids should not be really making decisions about their gender. I mean, Mario Lopez was almost canceled for suggesting that maybe three-year-olds shouldn't decide their gender. This it's... is not crazy stuff that makes you a bigot. And he apologized, by the way, Mario Lopez. Just reminded me of that. So how weird is it that he's saying this on CNN? It's because they have stepped so far over the line of reality uh, that liberals and conservatives, what I said a minute ago, Biden and his, and his people have actually, have actually united people who disagree on many subjects we all look at that and go, hey, yeah, leave our kids alone, number one. When you start messing with people's kids and you start messing uh, with their with their families, that, that's when people bow up. And that's when you see, I, I'm telling you, at some point you're going to see guys with MAGA hats and guys with BLM T-shirts probably at the same rally. It would be very interesting because it looked like the BLM rally showed up to support Kyrie Irving's uh, refusal that's to right. get a vaccine. That's right. They, and I've said to myself, do they even know what they're doing? Because we, I just well, think... I, I, have, I got a vaccine, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm not a doctor. Right. And, and I, Governor DeSantis got a huge ovation last night, not because it was a bunch of Republicans. It's because he let people live their lives responsibly. What a concept. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at the, the Black Lives Matter guys for Carrie. The, the lowest vaccination rate among any section of Americans is black Americans. Why doesn't Joe Biden say They're that? They're the lowest because... Why doesn't That's Joe Biden say it? Because nobody's told him in his ear to say it yet. Right. Uh, but, yeah, maybe no one told him the stat or they say whatever you do, run for the hills when it comes to that. Uh, yeah. The other thing I want you to hear from Bill Maher is CRT. As you know, I have the president of Freedom Fighter out. Special thanks to everyone that showed up last night. I was signing it last night. And Sunday, I, don't, I can't sing, and I was never in opera, but I'll be doing a show talking about all my books on stage Sunday uh, at the Plaza Live in Orlando. But here's Bill Maher. Uh, talking about teaching history and understanding that we did have slavery, but, cut 36. If, when you say critical race theory, if you say that on MSNBC, people think that's a great thing because they're finally teaching an honest history of racism in in this country, which I know no one who is against that. I'm certainly not against that. People should understand that. That's different than teaching that racism is the essence of America. That's what people get upset about. Or involving children who are probably not old enough or sophisticated enough to understand this very complicated issue with a very complicated history. He's saying something totally logical, right? I mean, that's just logical. That's how crazy this has gotten that Bill Maher is is talking sense. (laughs) I mean, that's how far we've gone. Yeah, critical race theory, uh, I have seen that actually bleed into schools in Nashville. Uh, we ran across that one time, and basically what they're telling, so like my boys play baseball, basketball. We go to spring break with all these parents, and we all hang out, and there's all different kinds. There's black parents, white parents, Hispanic parents. Just, we're just parents, right? And so these boys are all great buddies, and some of them are black, and some of them are white, and some of them are Jewish, and they're all, all different kinds of guys. They're basically telling the one kid, hey, you're never going to make it right. because of what color you are. And then they look at his friend and go, and the reason he's not going to make it is because of the color you are. Okay, so if you want to go, you want to hear a little Bible lesson, go to the New Testament and remember what Jesus Christ himself said. He said, you'd be better off to hang a millstone around your neck and cast yourself into the sea than to ever cause one of these children to stumble, to mess with them, to mess with their innocence, mess with their minds. They are polluting the minds of kids. They are, they are 
poisoning them with poisonous thoughts. And, and according to the Son of God, you'd be better off to get thrown in the ocean. You know, that. So that's a very good quote that I would not be able to bring up. You know who would? Frederick Douglass, in that he read the Bible all the time, even though he was born a slave. You know, most of his friends when he was younger were white. Yeah. And he would mix, he said, uh, later in life when he wrote his biography, he said, I'm convinced that kids don't see color. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I sat there as I'm researching this to go, oh, my goodness, that's our conversation today. That's right. That's why I'm telling a first grade, not telling a first grade or black or white that's right. that you should be privileged or oppressed. That's why you're, you're making their minds grasp something they shouldn't and putting bias it's abusive. in their head. It's abusive to the kids. Listen, Martin Luther King Jr. would be canceled today if he came out and said – uh, don't judge someone by the color of their skin, but rather the content of their character. No, no, no. Critical race theory didn't allow for that. They would cancel Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Uh, they would. Yeah. I don't know about your school, and I really I mean that. I don't know. I learned in school all this stuff about segregation, white water fountains, Rosa mm-hmm. Parks in the front of the bus refusing to go yeah. to the back. We knew all that. I mean, Muhammad Ali was my idol. What was he complaining about in the South? You guys love me on here, but you don't want to let me uh, you mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. Condoleezza Rice. I couldn't go to a movie theater until I was eight years old, 18 right. years old. Okay. Guess what? We made tremendous progress since then. Right. Talk about the history that brought us to that point. Talk about the failure of leadership and reconstruction implementation. Don't make excuses for it. Study it. But understand we're the most successful multicultural country in the history of the world, and we're making progress every day. I didn't duck an issue. You didn't duck slavery in America. Right. But it didn't make up what made America America. It was a blight on America. Correct. Yeah, and we fought a war over it. And, yeah. I mean, we, and we have had a, a, a man elected twice to president who's an African-American, you know, Barack Obama. Um, you know, to pollute the minds of kids is the most disgusting thing and abusive thing you can ever do to a kid. Right. It has no place uh, in our society. Personal observation. On our uh, book tour that we're on, uh, went to Atlanta and spent a lot of time in South Carolina. And I've never seen more integrated places yeah. than in, in the South. And in South Carolina, the first state to secede, they tried it once under Jackson. They finally pulled it off uh, before Lincoln could take office. And I'm everywhere I walk, I see the most mixed crowd. And Tim Scott said when I was growing <laughs> up, Senator, I, I didn't walk down King Street. Mm-hmm. And he said, now I come here all the time. It's just we just didn't. Yeah. That's what's changed. Please acknowledge progress. Well, you know, and it's, it says to make a more perfect union. It never says to make a perfect union. There's no such thing as a perfect country or a right. perfect society. But we're the best example that's ever happened, and we continue to get better. But anybody that wants to, to thrust this back into our kids, the only reason they would do that is because they want to perpetuate racism. Right. We want to keep it alive. This was a very good segment, if I was to grant. It wasn't a perfect segment. But it was very, very good segment. But the suit is perfect. Right. You always, I don't know how you your look so suit. good. Well, my suit, your suit. Listen. Together. This is it. Tell her we're special. We're That's the new duo. Saying. Yes. Uh, back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show with the great John Rich, dressed as Santa and a black hat. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Uh, In a major win for his domestic agenda, President Biden signed his landmark $1.2 trillion infrastructure package into law. The bill will tackle nearly every facet of American infrastructure, including public transport, roads, bridges, ports, trains, 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 power grids, trains, as well as water and sewage systems and trains. (laughs) 
More than a trillion dollars towards infrastructure like roads and bridges. Now, if only people could afford the gasoline to drive on those very <laughs> things. That is so correct. Carrie, listen on WDBO in Orlando. Well, I'll be on Sunday. Tickets still available. Beginning, I think, the doors open at 7 o'clock. VIP opportunities where I talk about America great from the start. Carrie, what's on your mind? Well, yesterday you were talking to Marsha Blackburn or about Marsha Blackburn and, and the the border crisis. And um, I work in the juvenile justice, um, juvenile dependency system. And I was in court yesterday involving a case where a child had been raped and was pregnant by her quote unquote father, who's now in jail. And the judge decided to send her back to her mom in Honduras. And I just think we forget about it being the lives of people. This poor 14-year-old who is in a country where she doesn't speak the language, raped by her father, and now we're paying to send her back to her mom in Honduras. And it's not just about drugs. It's not just numbers. These are lives that are being affected, and it's heartbreaking. So, so what do you want to – I know, but what do you want to do about it? Well, I think it's I think it's a shame that it's happening and yet it's we're allowing it to happen and we're paying my tax money is paying to send this girl back when China is profiting from fentanyl coming across the border and Mexico and the cartels and I just wish that we had a president who would have the cojones to do what he needs to do. I wish what he needs to do is pack up. Uh, I hear you. It's so frustrating. I heard it so much here at the Patriot Awards and the Hard Rock and talking to so many great people. They want him to be successful. And then, of course, they want a, we want a Republican to win. But he's just awful. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments. Uh, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from Hollywood, Florida, uh, the home of the Patriot Awards. It just ended a few hours ago, and we're ready to go and start planning for the fourth annual. I want to come right back here. If you can, Allison, if you have your credit card, I just want to put a deposit down. Mine are kind of maxed out. And I would like to just reserve this whole theater. Same thing. Leave everything up for next year yeah, because I thought it was just perfect. Uh, it was a great night. Uh, it was a great night to celebrate America. Mike Rowe is sitting right next to me. Uh, you'll have to take my word on that unless you're watching Fox Nation. We're streaming. Mike, I didn't tell you we were streaming. You don't care. Okay. I'm caring a long time ago. Right. Yeah. Uh, Congressman Brian Steele, uh, Style will be with us, too. Uh, we're going to be talking about that new infrastructure. Excuse me. The reconciliation package was supposed to get jammed down our throats uh, any day now. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If when you say critical race theory, if you say that on MSNBC, people think that's a great thing because they're finally teaching an honest history of racism in in this country. That's different than teaching that racism is the essence of America. That's what people get upset about. Bill Moore making sense. He's a liberal, but he's normal. Why don't they listen from CRT to cancel culture? The Democrats are not only turning off Republicans and independents, even iconic liberals like Bill Maher says, count me out. What will it take to wake them up? Number two. 
We didn't have the quality of evidence that the state had until the case had been closed. I do not believe an unknown technical incident should result in a mistrial. That is the Rittenhouse uh, defense and the prosecutor talking about the possibility that if you hold back footage that show an actual shooting incident and you're trying to convict the shooter, you should tell everybody you have the video. Can you imagine that concept? Meanwhile, the jury is still meeting. We're in day three. At any moment, they could break up and say we have a conviction or we have somebody who's going to be exonerated. And the judge can now also say I'm dismissing the entire case. We'll talk about it. Number one. Congress will not add to inflationary pressures in the economy. Number one. The bills do not add inflation pressures. Let me repeat that. Do not add inflation pressures. See, if you repeat it, it's got to be true. Why would he say it twice if it wasn't true? Panic among Dems as they are facing a midterm massacre as inflation whittles away at their base in America's family budget. Let's talk about somebody who does not like when his, buzz, when his base is whittled away. <laughs> that is, this is what you, the intro you wanted me to say, right? Uh, Mike Rowe, welcome. Leave, leave my base alone. Thank you. Uh, by the way, he, is, uh, he does, he's narrates. How America Works, Mondays at 8 o'clock on Fox Business, CEO of Micro Works. And those are just, I mean, you have so many titles. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all I can to make the business card as confusing as possible. Right, or it's just separate. <laughs> I mean, you could just have two cards or three cards. Tell them about Dirty Jobs. It's coming back. Oh, yeah, give me details on that. You didn't tell me this story. January 2nd, six new episodes of Dirty Jobs is back. Did you shoot them already? We shot them. I just, I just looked at them. They look terrific, modesty aside. They nearly killed me, like most of them did, but right. they're fun. They're great. So what brought it back? You? Did you push to bring it back? Do you own it now? No, I don't own it, but what, what happened this year is the same thing that happened back in, back in 2008 when we went into a recession, as you'll recall, and Dirty Jobs had been on the air about five years and suddenly, the show became relevant in ways that nobody anticipated, right? It, it happened again. You know, after a year and a half of lockdowns and seeing essential work in the headlines every single day, I got, I mean, literally thousands of notes on Facebook and social and whatnot from people who were saying, look, man, this, that crazy show was the granddaddy of essential working shows. Why don't you just bring it back to remind people what's, what's new, if, if anything, what's changed? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that was happening at the same time as How America Works, which is kind of like Dirty Jobs Without a Host, you know? Yeah. Celebrating the same industries, but from a different perspective. And so suddenly, you know, the long answer to your question is the headlines made it, br literally brought the show back. We couldn't not do it, given what's going on in the country. So where do we see it? Uh, Dirty Jobs is on Discovery Sunday nights, 8 o'clock, starting uh, first Sunday in January. Uh, How America Works, Fox Business, Monday nights at 8. And uh, Micro Works, which you were kind enough to mention, is always open. We're in our 13th year, million dollars in work ethic scholarships we give away every year to kids who want to learn a skill that's actually in demand. So, look, I'm, I'm in a really interesting time for me right now because the shows I do line up perfectly with the foundation that I run. And the headlines, uh, some of which you just mentioned, are pushing the whole thing forward, lickety-split. So it's, uh, it's exciting. So, you know, I'm reading about Lincoln, about his youth, and I'm trying to get a picture of, you know, what I could bring in different because everyone keeps writing about his youth. So all of a sudden his land stopped producing crops. Yeah. He's got to move. Yeah. So he's got to pack everybody up 
and he's got to go find another place to clear and hope he can plant crops there or else he doesn't eat. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying I want to go back to those days, but I'm in awe. Awe of that pioneer spirit that says, it's my responsibility, this place is opportunity. And by the way, I am not sure if the American Indians are going to allow me to stay. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't have the protection, so i got to learn how to shoot. There was no social safety net. Mm-hmm. I mean, from that to this, where you're getting money for doing nothing, for having children, and everything's free preschool, free to school lunch, uh, free college. It just has it's got a ripple effect that you want to help. But you're actually hurting. Yeah. Look, I think, you know, when we can talk about free stuff, which is fascinating in its own right. But what you said right before that, I think, is is more fundamental. Our relationship with risk and now our relationship with safety. When you when safety first becomes more than a bromide, more than a platitude, like when, when, when companies actually really tell you with a straight face that your safety is their responsibility, they're lying to you. And they're doing it for lots of reasons. Sometimes it's HR. Sometimes it's lawyers. But, I mean, anybody who's ever flown in the last 20 years knows this. That The first thing they say is the most important thing is your safety, really, as I strap myself into an aluminum tube that's going to break the speed of sound at 600. You know, I mean, are you, are you kidding me? Come on. Safety is critically important. It's, safety in all things is important. But we have elevated it, I think, in our culture to a point where anything that comes with any level of risk is now terrifying. So to your point, we would never populate this country the way we did. We would never press West. Right. Manifest destiny would have never happened. I mean, it, it, it's... We it's, wouldn't have made the Louisiana Purchase. Never. <laughs> never. Look, every single thing, the only four-letter word that's truly worth a damn nowadays is risk, right? And debt. Our relationship with risk and debt informs virtually Everything we do. And are we out of balance with both those things? I think so. Do you think, and I'm saying this knowing you're not a political person, do you think that a politician running for office that said, I'm not here to raise you, I'm not here to raise your kids, I'm here to steer the country in a general direction but not dominate every area of your life, don't look for me to do it, Mm -hmm. and says, don't ask for what you can do for your country, Uh, don't ask for what I can do what the country can do to be for you, but what you can do for your country. Do mm-hmm. you think someone could win saying that? Yes, I do. I'm not sure when, but soon. Because I think that sometimes, like every time, really, things have to go splat before they get better. And I don't know what splat looks like When right you have now. no alternative but to change. Or, or, or very few. right? So no one knows exactly where the benchmarks are. Maybe it's 9% inflation. Maybe it's 30,000 over the border instead of 20. Maybe it's fill in the blank, right? Mm-hmm. But part of what's going on, I think, is, is not just a political divide. It's a rhetorical divide. And we're, we're struggling today and we're arguing over definitions of words that we used to understand, like infrastructure, Right. People had a working understanding of what infrastructure was. And, and, then, then, all, and then all of a sudden, it was free child care, free college, and, and, and slave reparations. Now, we can have conversations about all those things, but when you jam it into a bill and call it infrastructure, people get confused. And then they get angry. When Merriam-Webster redefines anti-vax to mean those who are opposed to mandates, people go, no, wait, what? Yeah. Uh, 
I, that, I don't understand, right? So it's real easy, I think, to look around and say, gosh, we're awfully divided politically. But don't forget fun and games with the language. Because right. our, our very words are, are being <laughs> redefined in real time. Now they use this thing called human infrastructure. Yeah. And we just accept it. And I watch, and now I'm watching the news go, now the human infrastructure bill. I go, wait a second. They just made that up. How about social justice? Right. Yeah, what is that? Well, there's justice. Uh, and anything, like any word that you put in front of justice does something to the word justice that's not quite just. Right? You're, you're changing it. Yeah. it. It's like putting the in front of science. Science is science. Right. When, you, when, when it's the science, well, what, what do you mean the it science? comes doctrine. Your science? Yeah. My science? Right? Yeah. So it's a, it's a terribly confusing time. Everybody is really long on certainty. Everybody sounds so sure, so, 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 so certain. And yet, we don't know who to believe. We, we're, our institutions have been hollowed out. And again, this is a long way of saying that's why Dirty Jobs came back. It's simple. It's simple. You look at dirty jobs and you see problems and you see solutions. You also see pride. Oh, and pride in the job. And humor. Right. And humor. Right? It's so easy to portray traditional tropes of work mm-hmm. by reducing it to drudgery. And this drives me crazy, right? It's people look at work in terms of labor and management and the conflict that always exists between those two things. Well, you have unions. That's right. But labor is different than work. Labor's something labor's become political, truly. Work, that's personal. And and every single person in this country mm. has a vested interest in the skills gap. See what's interesting to build on that, looking for political leadership, what if political leaders went to dirty jobs like locations? Mm. And instead of saying, I'm going to create this, go visit it and say, this is the type of work ethic Americans should be celebrating. And kind of lay the groundwork for a temper and temperament where what Democrats are going to get mad that I go to go, go visit a pipeline maker or even, even if that's too political or uh, one of your dirty jobs locations that doesn't have political ramifications. You just see the pride in which they have. You go see their families. This is what, this is what, this is what happens. Yes. This is gets you on the softball team and gets, lets your kids go uh, play for the football squad and they go on Friday night football. That's what a part of it is. If you have a political leader doing that rather than promising things, because the way I understand it, the way I'm getting starting to get this, I'm a little slow, <laughs> but every president promises to change everything and when they don't, they failed and create hatred, and we're going to flip everything to the other team mm-hmm. who will promise everything. Why promise? Just say, I'm not here to live your life. I'm here to set our country on a path. And if you like it, vote for me. Sure. Look, I, I love the optics of it, but we've been trained to be suspicious of both sound bites and photo ops. Who, who hasn't visited the factory who hasn't gone to see the cars being made who's running for office? I, I can see them in my mind's eye. They, they roll up their sleeves, and they go shoulder to shoulder with the blue-collar guys, and now suddenly, well, look, you saw me over here, so clearly I'm a man of the people. Well, guess what? The people are on to that shtick. I, I still can, remem- shtick. I can still remember Hillary sitting in that bar somewhere in Pennsylvania with those steel workers, you know, not, not so long ago, right? Like having a shot and, and like fitting in. And, and everybody's going, good. I mean, come on. What about saying she had hot sauce on that African-American morning show? <laughs> right. 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 So it's well, Kamala like, Harris said that. Oh, actually, Hillary Clinton said it too, I think. 
Yeah. These are confusing times. Somebody Google it. The point is, we've become an incredibly suspicious and skeptical electorate, justifiably so. Because everything is being focus grouped, everything is being tested, all the optics, all the research, right? And, and so if you put a show on the air or a, or a commercial campaign or if you run a candidacy with the dirty jobs approach, which is no second takes, tell the truth, well, then you'll get a movie like Bullworth, remember? Right? Yeah. You, you get – I mean, we've made movies about seeing people get elected for the – for the main reason of not wanting to get elected. I'll and be honest. I didn't see Bullworth. You should watch uh, I, it. I, I didn't want to stop here, yeah. but I never saw Bullworth. Like, yeah, what was the concept? Can I be honest? You're yeah. free. Why are you standing up and I'm sitting down? You're looming over me, man. It's freaking me out. People, people at home should understand. You've, you've, you've taken a very masculine pose, hand on hip. I, you're right? like, you're just Don't literally, he's literally looming over me. Right. So I either have to stand up or you have to sit down. Can I think about it? No, I'm standing up. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do it like this. I don't all right, mind. All right. Back in a moment. What's, what's something that you always carry with you? Hot Just sauce. Really? You yeah. Yeah. Hot sauce. Really? Yes. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. There was so much cargo at the rail yards that his containers got stuck at the bottom of a pile for nine weeks. He told us it was like having his toys held hostage. The kicker, the rail line charged him for storage. This, on top of paying $30,000 for a container from China, 10 times what he paid last year. If that were as bad as it was, that would still be horrible, but it gets worse because we get penalized for storage. And that's where it becomes the theater of the absurd. That is a little bit of 60 Minutes as they try to get a hold of the supply chain. Remember, President Biden said it was too complicated for just mere mortals to figure out. So we can't get the ships to port. When they get on port, we can't get anyone to unload them. When we finally get them unloaded, we can't get anyone to drive them to where they belong. But Walmart said, I'm going to get my own planes, going to get my own (laughs) ships. We're going to deliver it themselves. And President Biden says yesterday, go to Walmart. They, They can handle it. That they will have plenty on their shelves. Is he solving the problem, Mike Rowe? Well, I think what he's doing in, a, in, in an odd way is, is proving how connected we are. And what I mean by that is there's so many examples of what's happening in the country today that rely on a binary look at things. It's this or that, right? The supply chain shows us that, no, it's all connected. The price of fuel storage, shipping, trains, trucks, you know, every single thing in this theater where we're sitting and in your home, which I've never been to, but I can assure you, right. has either been it's on more of a, a compound. <laughs> everything in your compound has either been on a train or a truck. Right. Every single thing. So when you start pulling on any of those threads, it's like a sweater, right? The whole thing is going to buckle right. up and you're going to wreck it. But does anyone want to fix the sweater or just say, I'd never wear that? <laughs> it seems like we just go, wow, that's a mess. Well, there's a hole in there. Yeah. Done. <laughs> no, what we want to do is we want to take a pair of scissors and just start clipping at threads. Right. And that doesn't solve the problem either. You know, so every – I don't know. I mean, it's a – I'm not saying it's a silver lining. But if you think we're right. completely isolated, siloed, and separated, 
look at what happens when you mess with the supply Let's promo chain. everything you do in your podcast. is now going to become a series on TBN? Correct. It's called The Way I Heard It, coming in January. Yeah, so the podcast is still available? Oh, yeah, it's out there, The Way I Heard It. You're going to be singing with John Rich on a Christmas song? You're going to be the feel-good hit of the summer. Yep, all the money's going to our charities. It's called Santa Claus Got a Dirty Job. Right. I'm, I'm not going to tell you, I don't know the music business, but mm-hmm. a Christmas song in the summer? Well, I'm saying, it's the feel-good hit of the summer. I, summer right now means every remember earlier we were saying words don't mean what they mean anymore right that's right it's always summertime brian you're welcome If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We typically work about 19 hours a day here. It's that 3 to 8 a.m. shift that we've added and tried to get others to work with us during those times as well. So you might be working 24-7, but the warehouses are not. That's right. So they have no place for these goods to go after they get off the ship at 3 o'clock in the morning. And there you've just diagnosed the problem. The cargo has nowhere to go. We've got to get a workforce in the warehouses and the trucking industry that are complementary to all this cargo that is, that's coming in right now. There is a lot of finger pointing. Yes, there is. The truckers blame the terminals. The terminals blame the shippers. The retailers blame the truckers and the shippers. How do you get that contentious group to sit at the table, stop pointing fingers, and actually clear out this backlog? That's been the toughest part. We haven't moved the needle yet, but it's not for a lack of trying. And we're going to have to just double down. That is Gene Sirocco, who's working on the docks, and he's a, an executive, and he's trying to explain to 60 Minutes what's going on with the supply chain. Now, the President of the United States says, I took action. I told the dock workers to work 24 hours. As you see what happened, you didn't tell anybody else to work 24 hours. And I thought I was the one who couldn't understand it. Mike Rowe is here. Mike directly has a bunch of businesses going, but he directly is affected by a supply chain problem. And it's not because his Peloton's a little late. <laughs> Therefore, his quads aren't fully developed. It's something else. Am I right, uh, Mike? Well, look, I mean, at the risk of shameless pluggery, yeah. Um, I'm supposed to have bourbon on the shelves right now, named after my grandfather, Carl Noble, who was the inspiration for Dirty Jobs. And the bourbon's done, and it's delicious. It's Tennessee whiskey, and it's waiting to go in the bottles. The bottles have been out in the port, and then they got on a truck somewhere, and I, I don't know where they are now. Now, you got labels coming in from someplace else. you got a cork that comes in from another place entirely. So if you're talking about something as simple as a bottle of booze, you've got the booze, the bottle, the label, the cork. You've got dates you've got to hit. You've got retailers. You've got – I mean, it's it's in, incredibly complicated and when one little thing one little thing goes off the rails it trickles all the way back down so boohoo the guy on tv can't get his whiskey on the shelf who cares right well eventually walk it back and if you're a consumer and you'd like to have a little holiday cheer and none of the bottles make it that's when things start to get real and that's what we're seeing right now this is trickling down to the consumer and they have an honest question and why, I, why is everything so expensive? Well, why is everything so expensive? And, and where is it? And why did we wait for months? We saw we could see the ships out there. Where I live, I can look I can see the ships. They're there. And they were just sitting there. Somebody somewhere must have done some sort of basic calculus and said, Rut row. Right? We're not gonna make our dates. Right. 
And the fact that nobody connected those dots and the fact that anybody in power right now can be remotely surprised by that, that leaves your average American wondering what what's wrong. That's why when you told when we looked at it and we said one point two trillion dollars of infrastructure, we know China puts a lot more into it. And people say, well, we needed to do it. And there's only, you know, people go back and forth, Republicans, Democrats, whether it's enough for green as opposed to just roads and bridges. Having said that, it's all going to come down to how that money produces the bridge and produces the road. And what we heard Barack Obama say in 2009 is I found out there's no such thing as a shovel-ready project <laughs> because for environmental issues, problem with unions, right. uh, they don't want the bridge anymore. Mm-hmm. There was nothing done. So there were not a bunch of projects that had to be signed off on. So he put the mayor of New Orleans, Landrew, in charge of $1.2 trillion. I'm not sure what his <laughs> expertise is, but I never walked into New Orleans and said what a – Construct what a marvelous wonder, you know. <laughs> if you told me, I never said, How do they build that? You right, know, except for the French Quarter, but I don't think the country needs to look like the French Quarter. Well, you know, you, when you start out below sea level, you're rolling the dice, right? Right, <laughs> you know right, I mean? right, right, right. You're gonna need some yeah. pretty amazing infrastructure. Yeah. But look, when, when Obama talked about three million shovel ready jobs, that happened actually in 2008. That he sort of coined that turn of phrase, and that coincidentally was the year I launched Microworks, which was a PR campaign for open positions. And I knew I could just, from working on the show and talking to people, I knew that there weren't three million people standing in line waiting for for the honor of being handed a shovel. Right, right. right? Ah. So, ah. so it's not just the nature of the work that that wasn't quite shovel ready. It was the nature of the species. It's us, right? right? We have we have in our minds a definition of what a good job is. And it's not one that requires the use of a shovel. And so that whole campaign right. needed better marketing and a broader conversation. And look, that was 2008, 2.3 million open jobs. Today, it's 2021. Ten point four million. So clearly, I'm making things worse. <laughs> but but we're still in the same fix. Yet four million people quit their jobs last month. Right, they quit. Now, people are having really lively conversations about why, but in the end, they quit. Right. So what else do we really need to know? Our relationship with work is fractured and. It connects us just as surely as the supply chain does with my stupid whiskey. If I can't get a bottle of whiskey on the shelf in 2021 because I can't get the bottles, well, then think of the complexity of getting steel no, or you. lumber or construction and so forth. It's, it's overwhelming. I, I, th- I do think it's uh, overwhelming, but I also think that you had a great term on TV today on Fox & Friends. Use the term will. Yeah, the will gap. There's a, this is the first time I ever heard that, but it's so basic. There's a there's a skills gap, mm-hmm. but now there's a will, a will to acquire the skills or a will just to work. I didn't have, I knew I didn't have a choice when I was working. If I wanted money, if I wanted to put gas in the car, if I wanted a car, I'd pay the insurance. I knew exactly what the insurance was, right. the body plastic on the Mustang, how much that would cost. So there was just no choice. Mm-hmm. Do you think the problem is we have a choice because we have so much money in the system? Do you think we've become weaker as a country or softer as a country? I think if you're going to talk about the macro, then I, sure, the answer is yes. But macro is tough 
for micro <laughs> because cookie cutter advice and, and, and general observation. I don't want to say everybody's lazy who quit their job. But that's exactly the point. This is how the skills gap gets politicized. If you look at the existence of 10.4 million jobs and you look at the number of people who are leaving, my buddies on the left will tell you it's because their employers are greedy, rapacious capitalists and the jobs themselves aren't very good. And if that argument doesn't stick, then they'll tell you that the skills gap is simply a myth and link you to a bunch of articles in the New Republic that confirm their belief and so forth. My buddies on the right, on the other hand, will tell you, no, look, the fundamental human condition is flawed. Give people a chance to do it the easy way or the hard way. They'll take the easy way and so forth and so on. So on the one side, you got people talking about laziness. And on the other side, you have people talking about greed. So the truth, I reckon, is somewhere in the middle. But it's not macro. It's right. the individual. And I will say this. What you just said, I'm going to factor that into what we just went through. For the last year and a half, everybody on the planet was affected by the pandemic. If you didn't have it, you feared you were going to get it. We know about – and that was a great point you took about risk. But can you imagine if the message was, yeah, this is going to be out there. I'm a little concerned about this, and these are, this is the numbers I'm looking at, and this is what China has been telling me. And uh, what I'm going to tell you is the best thing you could do is lose weight. The best thing you could do is eat right. Mm. The best thing you could do is exercise. You're not going to get elected. What I'm going to – no, I'm, I have the office already. Right. What okay. Have you, what have you said that? Yeah. What have you said right now? The, the, the people who are overweight, 85% of the casualties for people that are overweight are of underlying conditions. So what I want you to do is go to our website. We've got some basic things you can do without any equipment. You could do with a towel. You could do at home. Mm -hmm. And we can even have video demonstrations. And we're working on this. So even if you decide not to do it, but imagine if you just said, hey – I could take action yeah. rather than wait and cower and watch Netflix. I could take action. My best friend did it. Chuck, he walked. He and I walked every morning during the lockdowns. He's in L.A. I'm in San Francisco. And we talked. We caught up on business. But he lost 35 pounds. Wow. Getting up every morning and walking for two hours. Here's the masks that my foundation sells. They say safety third. All right. We've raised three hundred fifty thousand really? dollars selling these masks. Yeah, because safety third is exactly what you just said. What if what if our leaders said, listen, we do care deeply about your safety, but not as much as you do and not as much as you should. So if you're going to spend the lockdown watching Netflix and eating bonbons, right, then OK, choices. But. The, the fundamental problem with the example you just laid out is that the entire proposition is rooted in personal responsibility. And that's another one of those words that's been co-opted. So now if we talk about that or rugged individualism or work ethic, well, you know, guess what? You're on one side of the political aisle because those words have been abdicated by the other guys. Likewise, if I'm going to talk about kindness and decency and empathy, right. all right, well, then you must be a Democrat because they own all that. Why the Republicans would give those words right. away, I don't understand. And why the Democrats would give those other words away, I don't understand. But we have. And we're messing with the language, and it's going to come back to bite us in the butt. Right. Uh, speaking of bite us in the butt, yes. I don't have a transition, but I wanted to emphasize that <laughs> line. Um, 
I think I think you're done. It's not weird at all, man. Right. Nothing yeah, yeah. weird. It's no, always no. a pleasure to talk to you. Right. Uh, even I though. feel like I learn something every time, by, and I always kick myself for not coming up with it. It yeah. seems like you could take a complicated thing and make it simple in one line, and it makes me feel so inadequate, which is why Allison keeps booking you is unbelievable. Well, look, Allison clearly has a level of taste that's both sophisticated and elevated, and <laughs> so clearly to your listeners, right. at least when I'm on, and so thank you. <laughs> and by the way, if you offer her more money, she'll leave. Really? Yeah, so you could probably get her, yeah. Oh, well, we're hiring, actually. <laughs> okay. Are you yeah. Really? yeah, we got supply chain issues, as you may have heard. <laughs> hey, if you could find a way to make my whiskey, uh, that will be great. Fantastic. Deal. All right. Hey, uh, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Anytime. All right. Do you mean that? No. No, I didn't think so. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Something like Hunter Biden. I mean, if Don Jr. had done what Hunter Biden had done, it would be every night, all night on MSNBC. But the fact that it's Hunter Biden and Joe's on the blue team. See, that's the problem with America. Everything is so binary. Everything that the red team doesn't like goes in the blue bin and vice versa. I'm, I'm sorry. I know you don't listen to the show to hear the latest Bill Maher, but when I have somebody on the left who, who speaks a normal pro-American language, and I, you know, Bill Maher is very critical of the country, but fundamentally he's trying to tell us over the last year and a half he does like the country, and the people that he's dealing with now on the left don't. And look at this headline on Mediaite. It says. If Don Jr. had done what Hunter Biden had done, it would be every night, all night on MSNBC. You know who said that? Bill Maher. And he said it on CNN. And they know he is. Every news person knows that Bill Maher is 100 percent right. That this is a story when the youngest son on a laptop reveals their dad, who's the president, involved in international business deals where his power got him access, and in turn, he is now in power, and you have to wonder what access is he giving up and what country is at stake, our country. So that's why we pulled so much of this culture stuff out. I want you to hear a little bit more, and I'm sorry we're banging around a little bit because we're tearing down the Patriot Awards. At the Patriot Awards right now, we uh, set up this huge production, and they are beginning to leave but we're talking more about cancel culture. And here is Bill Maher on, on the Democratic Party going too far. Cut 39. When you're doing something that sounds like a, a headline in The Onion, that's when you've gone too far. Land of Lincoln cancels Lincoln. That really happened. You know, they tore down Lincoln. Yeah. Lincoln isn't good enough for them. Seattle, the city council, voted to decriminalize crime. This is an Onion headline. You know, I saw one very recently. Maybe babies should vote. What do I mean about the party of no common sense? This is where this party is. Or I don't think that's where the party is. It's where the, the faction that gets all the headlines. And again, it goes in the blue bin. And the average voter sees that and attaches it. It's true. You know, the Republicans, I don't really know if Republicans cancel anybody ever. Uh, also, I don't know. I mean, 
everybody knows too. This is actually out of self defense. When you have Dave Chappelle, the most powerful uh, cutting edge comedian out there, and they're doing everything to cancel him because of part of his stand up was about a transgender, and evidently it was insulting. I think that is. Pretty crazy. I have not watched the special yet, but he said anybody wants to criticize criticize me, watch the special. I don't want to criticize him, so I don't feel obligated to do so. But Bill Maher also talked about kids. So Bill Maher has no kids and not a parent. Don't even think he thirsts to be a parent. But sees what's happening in these school boards. Instead of saying what Democrats are saying is Republicans are threatening school board members and there's big money behind it, he sees listens to what they're saying, the parents are saying, and sees it's a problem and can't believe they don't see it. Listen to this, Cut 37. Kids are taught and sometimes separated into groups, oppressor and oppressed. Again, does a kid even know what those words mean? Would they gravitate toward that if you hadn't told them? You can acknowledge that we have made great progress on all the social issues. Uh, and, and yet there is still more work to be done. We're not saying mission accomplished. It's just saying let's live in the year we're living in. You can't come up with good solutions unless you're realistic about what the problem is. Can we, can we live in the year we're in? That is the best line. And doesn't that sound familiar? Acknowledge the progress. Yes, we still have to make some progress still. But acknowledge it and live the year we're in. In other words, don't say we need reparations for things and houses back and how dare you we steal land from the American Indian. No, that was something that happened 300 years ago. That happened gradually. Then there was a mutual attack plan on each other where brutality was bestowed on both. This is the way it is. And I'm not going to apologize for it. Cut 35. I'm not in schools. <laughs> I have no interaction with children whatsoever. Um, but I do understand this issue because I read accounts from parents, from educators, from people. And this is all over the country. Cut 36. If, when you say critical race theory, if you say that on MSNBC, people think that's a great thing because they're <clears throat> finally teaching an honest history of racism in, a, in this country which I know no one who is against that. I'm certainly not against that. People should understand that. That's different than teaching that racism is the essence of America. That's what people get upset about. Or involving children who are probably not old enough or sophisticated enough to understand this very complicated issue with a very complicated history. I don't know. Did did Chris Cuomo talk at all? Or would we just take his sound bites? I, I, I I would just let him monologue if I was there. Because he's he's just fantastic. All right, uh, listen, uh, the President Freedom Fighter I'm on tour right now will be in Pensacola, Florida, Books a Million on Friday. Saturday, Fairhope, Alabama, Page and Pallet, and The Villages on Saturday, November 20th in the afternoon. And then Orlando, Florida, The Plaza Live, BrianKillmead.com. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 I have not done a good job getting to the phones. I will this hour, I promise. Senator Roger Marshall will lead me off at the top of the hour. 
and Jonathan Turley, George Washington University professor, Fox News contributor. He's going to be talking about Rittenhouse as well as the Steele dossier and the FBI targeting of parents. And do I, you know, are we overreacting when we said this memo has been exposed by a whistleblower in the FBI that shows there's a hashtag developed for anybody who sees anything or to categorize parents getting out of control at their board of education meetings, so school board meetings. So that's exactly what Merrick Garland denied was happening. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If when you say critical race theory, if you say that on MSNBC, people think that's a great thing because they're finally teaching an honest history of racism in in this country. That's different than teaching that racism is the essence of America. That's what people get upset about. Why is Bill Maher making so much sense? Why don't they listen from CRT to cancel culture? The Democrats are not only turning off Republicans, independents, even iconic liberal people like Bill Maher. When will they wake up? Number two. We didn't have the quality of evidence that the state had until the case had been closed. I do not believe an unknown technical incident should result in a mistrial. Unknown? How about a high-def video of the entire incidents with Kyle Rittenhouse shooting in self-defense? Day three of the jury deliberations in the Rittenhouse trial, whether the prosecution's follies are intentional or not, it might just lead to a mistrial. I'll expand. Number one. Congress will not add to inflationary pressures in the economy. Now, one, the bills do not add inflation pressures. Let me repeat that. Do not add inflation pressures. Now I believe it. The first time I did not believe it, the second time I did when he repeated it. Panic among Dems as they are facing a midterm massacre as inflation whittles away at their base and America's family budget. Biden plays the blame game and stunningly offers nothing but a spending solution. With me right now, a person that does not want to do that. He's Senator Roger uh, Marshall out of uh, Kansas. Senator, welcome back. Brian, it's great to be on with you. I think you've got a lot of good information to talk about and can't wait to share. Absolutely. We're at the Patriot Awards in Hollywood, Florida, because uh, fresh off a very red, white, and blue night last night, which we're getting far too little of these days. But let's just get back and get our hands dirty in Washington. The president has gotten a wake-up call. When you see his poll ratings, when you see uh, what happened after the infrastructure bill, almost nothing to help him, and now his answer is this spending palooza that's going to be at least $2 trillion. And they're already getting us used to the fact that the CBO might not score this favorably. Listen to Andrew Bates, their deputy press secretary. Cut nine. There has been uh, wide agreement on the part of everyone involved moderates, liberals, etc., that CBO does not have experience analyzing revenue amounts gained from cracking down on wealthy tax cheats who are taking advantage of every honest taxpayer. So the CBO is going to score this $1.7 trillion, $1.75 trillion infrastructure deal, uh, which is not infrastructure, it's on reconciliation basis. They're going to score it poorly, and they're getting us ready. Should we dismiss the CBO? Brian, for all practical purposes, yes. Your listeners are smarter than this. They understand the Democrats have already borrowed $4 trillion above and beyond the usual budget money this year. And now this, uh, this, this reckless spending bill is going to borrow another $4 trillion. When it's all said and done, it's going to be $4 trillion 
And regardless of what the president says, when you borrow money, when you print money, when you devalue the American dollar, it adds to inflation. And inflation and vaccine mandates, the number one and two issue back home right now, the, this president, you know, don't listen to what he says. Watch what he does. Yeah, here is somebody. Here's the CBO di- director, Phil Swagel. Um, he said that when people say that the IRS cracking down on tax cheats, the rich tax cheats, which they plan on putting in that bill, is unquantifiable. This is what he said as a former CBO director. Cut 10. His people at CBO have been at Treasury and, and vice versa. So it, it's something that we're very, we're very familiar with um, and, um, and, and have a, a pretty well-established methodology. So a punt on that. But President Biden has continued to double down. So how does this play out? You guys don't have it yet. What's the House going to vote on? Yeah, well, well, Brian, you know, first of all, doubling the size of the IRS, which is what this bill would do, is not what America wants. Uh, the, if you double the size of the IRS, they're not going to come after billionaires. The billionaires are lawyered up. The millionaires are lawyered up, and they've got accountants doing it. They're going to come after hardworking Americans that fill out the taxes themselves. Uh, as far as what's going to be in this bill, it's anyone's guess. They don't know what it's going to be, right? Uh, if you could imagine getting a bunch of folks in one room and saying, let's spend another $4 trillion. How do you want to spend it? You know, we're going to fight to the death over that. And then we're going to fight about, well, who's going to get their taxes raised and all the other pieces of the puzzle so I think they have no idea what's going to be in this legislation yet. So if it gets to you guys, have you talked to Senator Manchin and Cinema? Because they don't need you. They don't they're not soliciting you, but it's up to Cinema or Manchin, nobody else or Tester, who maybe saw the off year election, the disaster the Democrats are staring at in twenty twenty two, to make a courageous move. Can you give us a sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We talk to uh, Senator Manchin and Cinema daily. Uh, this week, we got back from a little bit of break. We lined up and we asked Kirsten uh, what she wanted for her groceries. It was my turn as the freshman center to go get her groceries. The other freshmen are mowing his lawn, right? So, yeah, there's great conversations going on. And the good news is they get it. Uh, first of all, they're representing their people. The people of Arizona, the people of West Virginia are getting killed with inflation just like the rest of us are. They did not send their senators here to turn uh, this program into big government socialism. They still believe in economic freedom in Arizona and West Virginia, just like Kansas. And, and they know what Kirsten understands, uh, this tax policy forward, backwards, and sideways. Whenever I talk to her about the importance of reinvesting capital gains as opposed to taxing them as ordinary income, she gets it. She intuitively understands it. Uh, and you've heard Joe say over and over, hey, let's take a breath. Let's take a pause here. Uh, this inflation is killing West Virginians. Why do we want to borrow more money? Uh, you know, this president's got a tiger by the tail right now. And now he wants to set that tail on fire and throw gasoline on it. So, yes, we're talking to Joe and Kirsten several right. times a day. Yeah, you should get him flip parties. So China and the uh, the Chinese leader, President Xi, and the President Biden had a two-day virtual meeting. And they talked a lot about Taiwan. They bought totally read out, uh, different readouts on it, which is scary. Here's Robert O'Brien, who used to be the president's foreign policy advisor, cut 44. You usually want to come out of those meetings with some sort of accomplishment. And the Democrats got, you know, the Biden administration got nothing. And even on issues that the Democrats used to care about, I mean, climate change, zero. Uh, human rights, whether it's Hong Kong or the Uyghurs or 
You know, again, I'm old enough to remember when the Democrats cared about the Dalai Lama and Tibet and the Tibetan people. Nothing on those things. Uh, cyber hacking and political influence, uh, nothing. Uh, arms control, which is uh, is one area where we should, probably should be talking to the Chinese. The Chinese aren't playing. They're not even like the, the old Soviets where they'd sign a, a fake agreement and then violate it. The Chinese won't even sign an agreement. They're just moving forward to, to have world domination when it comes to nuclear weapons and hypersonics. So not, not a lot that came out of this summit. So is that what your read is, too? Yeah, absolutely, Brian. It's been two years now since China started covering up uh, the COVID outbreak, right? Over two years now, this has been going on. You know, my dad taught me a long time ago in grade school how to deal with a bully. You don't placate a bully. You stand up to him and you smack him in the nose. Uh, this White House has shifted to placating China. That is their uh, political philosophy right now, and it's not going to work. China will tell you whatever you want to hear. But again, watch their actions right now. You know, Jen Spensaki talked to so tough last week saying, oh, the president's going to stand up. He's going to ask them about the origins of COVID. Uh, and they, he didn't, right? He's a gutless wonder. Why won't this president stand up to China? You don't defeat a bully by placating him. Well, I guess we're going to see what's going to happen because you got to rally people uh, around him to combine to shut them out. And I don't think it's happening right now. Uh, in Afghanistan, the word is the president does not want to talk about it. I guess Admiral McRaven about it, the biggest disaster in my lifetime, and a totally self-inflicted cut 42. Scott uh, was a great soldier, and uh, he and I served together uh, over in Afghanistan, uh, and he did a, a really remarkable job. So I've got a lot of, a lot of time for Scott. I, I don't know about his numbers. Those are kind of not the numbers I'm hearing. Having said that, uh, Brian, I mean, you know, nobody uh, thinks that the evacuation in Afghanistan was, uh, was anything like what we wanted. Uh, my, my personal opinion is we started way too late. Right. Uh, that's just the beginning. But, you know, as much as I love Admiral McRaven and, and General Kelly, as well as uh, General Mattis and all these guys, they were qu so quick to criticize Trump when they didn't like a foreign policy agreement. This was worse than anything Trump could ever imagine. And they don't speak out and use the credibility they have with the American people to condemn it. Why not? Yeah. You know, Brian, let's talk about accountability just for a second. Somebody should have been fired months ago, right? Somebody is responsible for these huge mistakes. As you described, I think the biggest military mistake, I, I, I don't know, uh, since Pearl Harbor, right? Uh, and no, no one's been held accountable. Uh, I was on a CODEL several months ago in, in the Eastern Europe talking to NATO allies, and it was just an embarrassment. Remember, don't look at any of these national security issues in a silo. They, it's a domino effect and goes way beyond just the politics and the economic and the military security of Afghanistan. And already we're seeing it. China stepping into that void. Afghanistan is rich in those rare minerals. And so they'll be using those real uh, rare earth minerals to build uh, batteries, to build solar panels with, and then sell them to, um, to Americans at inflated rates. Uh, using dirty energy. So, you know, it's just it's one domino after another. I just my our, our heads are exploding trying to understand what this president is thinking. But just the greatest national security disaster, like you said, in our lifetime. All right, Senator, thanks so much. And uh, Senator and Dr. Uh, Roger Marshall, truly appreciate it. Yes, sir, Brian. Have a great week.
You got it. one 408 We'll come back with your calls. In the bottom of the hour, Jonathan Turley on this ongoing Ritter case, uh, Rittinghouse uh, place, as well as, uh, as well as what is happening with the dorm investigation. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're getting things done, and we're doing it together. So you don't feel misused or underused? No, I don't. I am very, very excited about the work that we have accomplished, but I am also absolutely, absolutely clear-eyed that there is a lot more to do, and we're going to get it done. Right? Just because you haven't gotten anything done or done anything you've been assigned, no reason to think it's never going to happen. That is Kamala Harris, who almost giggled her way through that first question. George Stephanopoulos asked her, but she's in the middle of damage control because most of the leaks are from the president's side and her side that said she's basically useless and the staffs hate each other. So not good. You know what also is not good? This editorial in the New York Times today, Tom Etzel, for Democrats, he said, the rise of inflation... Supply chain shortages and surges in illegal border crossings, the persistent COVID mayhem in Afghanistan and the approval and the overall uproar over the critical race theory. All these developments individually and collectively have taken their toll on President Biden. This isn't Sean Hannity's opening monologue from tonight's show. And Democratic indication uh, uh, candidates so much as that Democrats are now the underdog going into 2022 and possibly 2024. The numbers are even worse for Democrats in the eight states expected to have the closest Senate elections, uh, according to Langer. Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Nevada, New Hampshire and North Carolina, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin all going to be tight. Not only is Biden's overall job approval in those states, 30 percent, 10 points lower than the rest of the country. But registered voters and those uh, in those eight states say they are more likely to vote Republican in the House than Democrat by 23 points at 58.35 for the Senate. So this is pretty amazing what's happening. Now, I'm not going to say things are going to stay the same, but I don't think this spending this one point eight trillion, even people who think it's a big move, they say people are going to feel it for two years. So we'll just go firing to the debt with no, uh, no outward improvement along the way. Steve Ratner writes in an op-ed in today's New York Times. This guy was a aide, a Treasury aide, car czar to President Obama. He said enough already about the transitory inflation. Last Wednesday's terrible consumer price index shifts our inflation prospects strongly into the embedded category. How could an administration loaded with savvy political and economic hands have gotten this critical issue so wrong? They can't say they were not warned. And the warning was that it is too much spending. That's what's causing inflation. And he says we're not going to get inflation. Obviously, he was dead wrong about that. But I thought the overall tone with the Biden administration, I think this driving his polls number down, too, with this mandates, with these demands and not even uh, owning up, uh, going with the teachers unions during uh, the pandemic. Governor Ron DeSantis made it clear last night when he came out of the Patriot Awards, no script, no prompter, just talked to the people for 20, um, you know, for 20 minutes 
about not sounding like a politician, even though he is running for re-election and possibly for president, but just sounding like somebody that did not want to lock people down and put in mandates. Cut three. No nurse, no police officer, no truck driver, no anybody should lose their job because of COVID jabs. And I'm happy to say that tomorrow I'll be signing legislation in the state of Florida that says in Florida, you have a right to earn a living. They can't make you choose between a jab or your job. Yeah, he also took on Anthony Fauci, cut two. We worked very hard over the last year and a half standing up to bureaucrats, standing up to corporate media to keep Florida open. We protected people's right to earn a living and businesses' right to be open, kids' right to be in school. We were not going to let Florida descend into a Faucian dystopia where people's freedoms were curtailed and their livelihoods were destroyed. We choose freedom over Fauciism. And that was off the cuff. It came organic, and it was about legitimate positions that he took that really bucked the trend in New York, New Jersey, California, where they're locking people down. He says, no, they know the deal. They know the deal. They know the deal. The American people understand. This is where you get vaccinated. We've got a ton of vaccinations here. Uh, let me know. 85% are going to be vaccinated if they're senior underlying conditions. Then we're going to go next, and then we're going to go next, and we're going to go next. In the meantime, you can go to the beach, go to work, go to school. That's what people wanted. And I'm sure he's got a lot of Democratic support now. Will it be enough to make him want to run for president? Jonathan Turley comes up next. He's going to unwind what's happened. The Rittenhouse story and so much more. Legally. Legally. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. When I talked about problems with the media when this trial started, we were there in part because of grossly irresponsible handling of what comes out of this trial. The people should be able to see what's going on, but when they see what's being done, it's really quite frightening. Yeah, no kidding. It is really quite frightening. Uh, and and I'm not really even sure where this is going. Jonathan Turley, Mike, Fox News contributor, seen it all, been watching these trials. And I want to talk about the Rittenhouse trial. We don't even know during this. We might get word that the jury is ready with a verdict. Maybe within this hit. Jonathan, welcome back. Thank you. Jonathan, first off, can you unwind for our listeners that maybe are doing 20 things or all caught up in the Patriot Awards how somebody could have a high-def drone video of an incident that could put somebody in prison for life and they share a pixelated view with the defense knowing that is blatantly unethical and could blow up the whole trial? Well, this is part and parcel to a long uh, series of blunders by the prosecution. Uh, I'm, su- I'm really quite surprised by it because the, the photos themselves were the focus of uh, much of the objections and uh, the debate with the judge during the hearings. 
there were a lot of complaints about how grainy these images are, how difficult it is to figure out what is being seen, uh, the need to blow them up or enhance them. And during all of this time, the prosecutors knew that they had this high-def version of this particular <laughs> uh, film. And it's really sort of strange credulity to say, well, I, you know, it, we just didn't realize I mean, why don't you just give them an oil painting? I mean, what, what you know, you, you had a high-def version you were planning to use, you were preparing to use. You had incorporated into your exhibits, your demonstrative exhibits. So it, it's bizarre to claim that this just skipped your mind. Um, I would have been absolutely apoplexic about uh, this, um, uh, you know, by, by this error. Uh, you know, this follows the earlier constitutional violation uh, by the prosecution uh, in uh, referring to the silence of the defendant, something that the Supreme Court has been quite clear uh, you cannot do. So, Jonathan, I didn't see it because I've been caught up here, but is the video telling? Does it make Rittenhouse look better? Does it reveal something about the incident, or is it just the fact that it is so wrong and unethical? Well, I think that, um, you know, we still are left with the fact that you could look at the same scene and reach different conclusions. Uh, what the prosecution tried to do is to focus attention on single frames and to say, in these sort of gotcha moments, look, he's pointing the weapon. At this point, the prosecution is trying to rehabilitate its case. And it did that at the end by getting a critical instruction from the court uh, called a provocation instruction. And what that meant is that they were allowed to argue to the jury that if the jury believes that Rittenhouse provoked some of these individuals, uh, provoked this encounter, he loses the benefits of that self-defense language that the, court, that the jury was given. It's not true, as the prosecutor said, that you lose self-defense entirely. I'm surprised that the judge didn't pile on that. What it means is that you have to do added steps. You have to try to retreat. You have to try to get yourself out of that situation. So this all goes to provocation. Now, that was not part of the original pitch to the jury. Like many things, the prosecution made significant changes in what it was arguing at the end of the case, as opposed to what it argued at the beginning. Understood. Uh, um, Conventional wisdom says that the longer they take, the worse it is for the defendant. Do you buy into that? You know, you hear this on uh, both sides. I'm a criminal defense attorney, and often uh, defense attorneys uh, like to see fast verdicts. But also, fast verdicts can represent a, a slam-dunk prosecution case. Uh, the, the amount of time a jury takes on a case is really fact-specific. It took four days for the jury to convict Paul Manafort. The concern is that as a from the defense side, that the longer a jury takes, the more likely they'll reach a uh, a compromise verdict. But I wouldn't necessarily say that here. It could also reflect that they have a deadlock. It could, for all we know, they've gone through most of the counts. They could have acquitted or convicted 
Rittenhouse on a number of the counts, and they just can't resolve one or two. And that's one of the reasons you look to see what questions are coming out of the jury, because sometimes when there's a deadlock, um, the jury will sort of reach out to the judge to see if they can sort of reshuffle the deck. You know, they'll raise something with the judge saying, is it true that if X happens, then you conclude Y? And those questions often are not answered by the judge. Sometimes the judge will give it to the lawyers and they'll just agree, you know what, let's not get into this. Just tell them to go back and try to resolve it. The other thing that can happen if there's a deadlock is obviously they let the judge know. And they may let the judge know that they are not deadlocked on some counts. In almost all of those cases, the judge will send the jury back. I've never seen a judge uh, accept a deadlocked jury on the first notice. All judges that I know of send back a note saying, I know this is tough. I know you're deadlocked. You need to try again because it's in the interest of everyone to resolve this case. What do you project? I mean, I'm looking at this. I'm seeing exoneration, but my fear is the protest outside, the visions of Kenosha burning a year ago is going to be coming up again. And I talked to some cops yesterday, and I said, listen, now that you're there braced for what they can experience, and I said, do you believe that 500 National Guardsmen and uh, and police could stop? They said, absolutely not. If they want to riot, they will wreck the place. Knowing this, do you think the jurors would be, are influenced by it? They can, they can be. You know, that's part of the problem. Even when you sequester a jury, you can't necessarily keep the jury from hearing in the courtroom. <laughs> Excuse me. I uh, protest outside, but also because they decided to hold this this trial in Kenosha, everyone in this jury understands very vividly what the dangers are. So that can have an impact. I, uh, but in terms of predictions, I mean, I I still think that the prosecutors destroyed their own case. Um, and so, you know, I, I would bet on a hung jury on many of the, if not all of the counts, maybe even some acquittals, maybe even a total acquittal. But I just can't see conviction um, based on what the prosecution put forward. But, you know, I could be wrong. We can't see the jury. And that's also particularly the case if they deadlock and they try to get a compromise I, on like reckless endangerment. That's what the prosecution is hoping for. The prosecution lost a major count when they dropped the drum, the, the, the gun possession charge. Gun. It wasn't major in terms of the weight. It was just a misdemeanor. But it was the best option for a compromise verdict. They lost that. Understood. Jonathan, if I could pivot to this FBI story, this whistleblower comes out and says the FBI has a hashtag to categorize complaints of would-be uh, violent board members So when uh, and maybe to take action, perhaps. Merrick Garland said, I, we have no plans to do that. This FBI whistleblower says it, they are doing that. Others have said, I'm not a, you're misinterpreting. We always categorize things by the challenge it gives us, whether it's ISIS or something else. Are you able to read between the lines on this? Well, you know, first of all, I don't think that people are saying that uh, the attorney general committed perjury are correct. I don't think that would make out a perjury case. But it does 
sort of raise some questions of how much the attorney general is actually in the loop. Uh, but the problem is not that the FBI is putting a threat um, designation on these complaints. They're right. They do put threat levels on most complaints. The problem is that they're coordinating an effort to identify threats uh, against uh, um, school boards and teachers, et cetera. This was all started with a letter that was coordinated between the White House and uh, the school board association uh, that was based on virtually nothing. I mean, there were there have been relatively yes. few threats made in this regard. And um, and on top of that, you have a letter that, you know, was suggesting the use of the Patriot Act against them. And the group later apologized. But what's missing here is the reason why we suddenly have this national effort by the FBI to coordinate what are basically local issues. And so I'm less worried about the threat designation as I am. We, we still haven't gotten a clear answer of why the FBI is, is running a national coordination focusing on what parents are saying at school boards and to teachers. Yeah, I, I just don't understand it. By the way, you, you glossed over it, but it's important for people. There's so many storylines going out there. But to me, and I know you don't do politics, it is unbelievable that at the White House's behest, this, this board, this union board, would put together a letter to submit to them to the, submit to the Department of Justice. So it's like me saying, hey, do me a favor, write a letter, uh, telling a student to write a letter to your, uh, your dean to see if Jonathan Turley should get a raise. So all of a sudden the student says, I really think Jonathan Turley should get a raise. Well, because you wrote them, then we uncover through a Freedom of Information Act that you are writing your students to have your supervisor get letters from your students demanding you have a raise. You put your hand on the scale, and your, your supervisor or your dean would be uh, outraged. You know, what are you doing getting kids involved in something that has nothing to do with that? The White House is trying to do that has to be for political reasons, not to arrest the Anderson family, but to stop the uh, stop the displays that they're seeing that are hurting them in the polls. Can you point to anything in my argument? Uh, Yes, I think you're flawed in the sense that I think we can all agree my getting a raise is in everyone's interest. And so there's nothing (laughs) I think I think we should all be working for that end. But uh, (laughs) other than that. You know, the um, there is an issue here, which is during the Trump administration, there was legitimate criticism about President Trump leaning on the Department yeah. of Justice. Um, he would say calling, it. <laughs> yeah, openly calling for prosecutions and stuff like that. And a lot of us yeah. went after him and said, you shouldn't do that. But there's virtually nothing in response to repeated examples of the White House either directly telling agencies to take legal actions uh, or, in this case, coordinating a rather thinly disguised um, effort coming from the White House. I mean, this is the president that, before the investigation began of Border Patrol agents, declared that they were guilty of flogging and whipping um, immigrants at the border. This is the president that said that he understood that the CDC moratorium uh, was presumptively unconstitutional, but he was still wanted the CDC to do it so they could spend as much money as possible. If, if, if Donald Trump had done that, the, the hair of the mainstream media would have caught on fire. 
And you know, <laughs> now we, you know, now we have this letter that's clearly coordinated with the White House, despite denials that the White House expressed that, you know, we really didn't have anything to do with this going over to the, you know, Justice Department. It's it's clear now that it was a coordinated effort, and it's radio silence. Kind of weird. Lastly, I didn't see much developments on the dorm front, but I'm getting a lot of questions here and around. Is this serious? Are they moving forward? Is he, To characterize the dorm investigation, how would Jonathan Turley do it? Well, the big question is where does he go from here? Uh, he just handed down the Stanchenko uh, indictment. Um, the question is will he go higher and there's other people who've been accused of lying. Mark Elias, the general counsel for the Clinton campaign, was accused by two New York Times reporters of expressly denying that the Clinton campaign was funding the Steele dossier. He was involved in that funding. But what's interesting is that he was sitting next to John Podesta in Congress when Podesta denied a role of the campaign in the Steele dossier. Elias was sitting right next to him. And that was never charged. And I don't know if Durham's going to deal with that in a report or whether these types of incidences are still under investigation. So far, we have heard of no allegations that Elias has committed a crime, but he and others are still mentioned in these reports. And it's not clear if Durham is drilling down. He is Jonathan Turley. He's a Fox News contributor, finally made that move. It's really helped his career, I believe. I don't have a second source on that, but it's my hunch. And uh, I really thank you for joining us, John. Thanks, Ryan. Go get him. one 408 7669 We'll finish up with calls and maybe find out if you want to know more. But judging by <laughs> my sources, I'm not sure we have a more to know ready to go. Oh, that's right. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to finishing up this hour. And the more I think of it, the more I check my watch, the more I realize as much as I know, I need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Getting kind of scary. Cases are going up 14% of the country. And in Michigan, again, with that terrible Governor Whitmer, Michigan has over 50,311 cases in the past week. That comes out to 503 cases per 100,000 and is the most in the nation. Minnesota is second with 490 cases. New Mexico, wow, talk about a spread, 462 over the 100,000. And, I mean, in New York, they're worried about cases. Do you think they're going to – are they stupid enough to think about locking down again? Maybe, but the other thing you're not realizing, have you seen one other story on that, really? Like what, what, None. Remember all the headlines, Florida's rising, it's because of DeSantis. Right. Crickets. And, you, know, you know, I think Florida, as of last week, was the lowest in the mm-hmm. country. Next. Alec Baldwin, get this, is being accused of choosing to play Russian roulette on the, on the Rust set, you know, the Rust, the movie set, uh, as his supervisor breaks down in tears as he sues Baldwin over the death of, get this, Halna Hutchins, who was a friend of Baldwin's. But I don't understand why the script supervisor is suing Baldwin over the death of somebody else. Well, I think she said it was severe emotional distress. I heard something this morning. Because he cocked and fired the gun, even though the scene 
didn't call for Was it. she in the room when that happened? Yeah, evidently she saw the whole thing. Wow. She was an eyewitness to it. Mitchell was standing close to the director when the bullet from Baldwin's gun killed her. Howard uh, alleged that the live ammo was brought to the set and that the assistant director improperly handed Baldwin the gun. But Baldwin knew that the gun should never have been given to him and that he could not rely on the AD about whether or not the gun was safe to use. Baldwin chose to play Russian roulette when he fired a gun without checking it, without having an armor within his presence. So he, she didn't actually play Russian roulette. I think that's her term. But that's a loaded term. Right. I mean, is, so, that, is that a legal term? Not that, really. It's not a legal term, but it is a loaded term. Russian roulette has a history. Thanks for listening. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.